0: It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host Roger Wasson. Well, all of us have gotten used to just looking online for anything that we want and feeling like it can one of those Amazon trucks or somebody else will be pulling up to our place. It shouldn't surprise us that farmers. Can do the same thing. We're having products that are moving in and out of the state, and the internet poses a different situation, though, because there are some products that are regulated, and and how do we even keep track of that? What about products that are regulated coming into certain states because you just decide to get online and say, "Well, just order it and have it." What happens? How does that happen when there's been a concern expressed about certain kinds of products, especially pesticides? This got my attention today is to. Go back and check with the California Department of Pesticide Regulation. And and I want to welcome Karen Morrison, and she is the Chief Deputy Director. You're you're the Scientific Advisor. Karen, welcome to Farm to Table Talk.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So, Karen, I've talked about pesticide regulations before, and I think it's, it's worth pointing out to kind of set the stage a little bit. California has a law. California has rules and regulations, and I and I guess uh, and they're not exactly the same as every state. Could you explain that? What is your responsibility of the pesticide regulations as far as use of pesticides in the state of California?
1: Absolutely. So this this all goes back to the department's mission to protect human health and the environment by regulating the sales and use of pesticides. And so our first point of contact in this is looking at the registration of products. So we review every pesticide product um, before it can be sold into the state. We take a look at the labels to make sure that the directions are clearly there, that there is sufficient personal protective equipment, and also look at scientific studies for those products to make sure that when they're used, according to label directions, that they don't pose risks to human health or the environment when they're being used by the directions. So I talk about this as the, the funnel coming into the state as we're trying to address issues before they come up. Um, and it's a really critical part of the work that we do.
0: Now, is it redundant in some ways by plan with federal regulations as well? Because I I would imagine there are, I know there are regulations with the Environmental Protection Agency, and maybe there's some other food safety issues. Obviously, by EPA, you tend to think of those concerns largely about their effects on the environment per se, but there's food safety issues as well. So uh, what are the uh, corresponding federal agencies that overlap with what you might be doing for the state of California.
1: Sure. So we work really closely with US EPA, both based out of DC and um, region nine, which is the uh, regional area covering California and a few other states around pesticide regulation. There is... There is some overlap in the work that we do around registration, but a particular focus for products when they come into California is looking at California's unique conditions. We have 400 plus crops that are grown in California. We have weather conditions, soil conditions that are unique to California. And so when we're reviewing products, we're really looking to see are those reflected in the labels and in the requirements that are in place to make sure that products can be used effectively and also that they can be used safely.
0: So what about from a a food safety standpoint, what might be done on federal levels as far as uh, concerns with residues of certain chemicals and so forth versus the outlook and perspective that the state of California might take?
1: Sure. So all of the tolerances for pesticide use on crops is set at the federal level, Um, but we do review residue data as a part of our reviews for products coming through. We also work extensively out in the field to be collecting produce samples to make sure that both growers in the state and those that are shipping into the state from out of, out of state, out of country, are following those requirements.
0: Now, so how do you keep track of this? I mean, I mean, one is I understand how you have been able to create regulations. You've You've identified products that, from a perspective of your studies, looking at the science and conducting science and doing surveys and saying these are products that must be registered to use. And then when they register them to use, these uh, they're poisons. Um, and if they're to be used within in the state, you've got guidelines either on their use, but also in some cases even their sale at all. I would imagine that there are probably products that can be sold in other states, for example, certainly other countries that you might not allow in the state of of California.
1: That's correct. So all products have to be registered to be sold in the state before they can be used. And then I think folks on on this podcast will be aware of, there are some, in some cases, additional restrictions that are placed on sales. So certain products, you could only be a sold by licensed dealers and and individuals especially for some of those higher risk products like restricted materials so there's multiple different layers that we look at but fundamentally we need to review the product before it can be sold into the state
0: you know and there are bound to be listeners that say oh there goes california again they have so many more regulations and rules than than other states and then there also got to be some consumers are saying well i'm glad they're careful um, and so, I imagine you walk that kind of fine line. I don't know how line how fine the line is actually, but that of uh, some saying, "Well, gee, there's too much regulation," and others saying, "I'm really glad they're being careful about you know safety and the impact uh, impact on the environment." Uh,
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is you. Know, we we recognize that pests are out there, and we need to be thinking about ways to manage. And you know, a key priority for us is how do we think about strategies to do that, but that are done in ways that really minimize risks associated with use of the products. And, and to your point, it's a it's a challenging balance in this area, but one that I think there's been a lot of work done across multiple layers of our departments to make sure that that's happening.
0: You know, I started this with referencing the fact that people purchase so much online anymore, uh, because I would imagine that if somebody is purposefully shipping into the state products that aren't approved for use you must have some enforcement capabilities that you can identify a product being sold and you know address that but virtually must make it a lot trickier and this is what got my attention and wanting to talk to you is that there was an agreement that the state of california's in fact department of pesticide regulation had with amazon which um is going to be costing them close to five million dollars uh, in an in an agreement, would you explain what that what that was? What they were found to be um, needing to be addressed. I'm not saying that correctly, but I guess it, what was the issue? And then that this agreement again, five million dollars is is a tidy sum.
1: It is. It is the largest audit finding that we've ever had with a company. So we're um, it, it's a big change. It's a it's a big deal for the department, and I think we're. We're it's it's reflective to of the changing marketplace for this and and really trying to look at online sales into the state. Um, this this audit started uh, a number of years ago, really prompted by two things. One is that if you go online and search for a pesticide on Amazon, you could find listings of pesticides to buy and. They weren't registered with the departments to be either a dealer or a broker, which is a requirement that we have for being able to track what products are coming through. And we were noticing a lot of our dealers and brokers using Amazon as a platform and, and other online um, platforms to sell their products. And so we initiated an audit into the company um, went through Millions of transactions, um, really looking at the um, individual sales of products to consumers within the state. Um, I'll note that most of the products are, are more consumer products. So we're talking disinfectants, lawn and garden, pet products um, sold through the platform. And so at the end of the audit, reached an agreement with Amazon to do a number of things. One was to pay um unregistered uh, to pay m- the mill assessment on sales of products that were registered with the department. And this is a requirement that we have for all um, pesticide sales This supports many of the department's programs and the work that we do to protect public health and the environment. Um, so they there was a three point six nine million dollars um, in unpaid mill plus a, a penalty on that amount. And then also as a part of the audit finding, identified that um, Amazon had sold in a number of unregistered products into the state. And so we assessed $1.28 million in civil penalties um, for the company for those sales of unregistered products. As a part of the agreement, Amazon has also um, is implementing control measures to make sure that they are no longer selling unregistered products into the state, and also that they will be Um, reporting and paying on the mill assessment into the future for the sales of products that they do make into the state.
0: What a big area though that is because uh, you know you get out in front of it do kind of understand how you normal you normalize uh, say retail operations and you know people are going to the uh, Home Depot or they're going to somewhere else and those large companies know products that they're bringing in have to be can be sold within the states that they're operating. I, I would assume, and and it's pretty easy to I don't know easy, but you can identify that actual physical shipment. But when you get virtual, um, that's that's a big frontier. And it seems to me that while you're starting to get your arms around it with Amazon, there's uh, there are a lot of ways that things can start can can move into into here. So so Amazon, I'm not surprised that you could reach an agreement with them. And they can say, "Okay, this is what we're going to do. We'll pay this, and we're going to do we're going to do better. We're going to comply." But now you've opened up that frontier. How are you going to keep track of all the other all the products that can be ordered in different ways, other than a company like Amazon that you can you know really sit down with them and reach an agreement?
1: It's a great question, and and one that we're continuing to work through. I, I will say we also have a, a team within the department that does marketplace surveillance as their kind of primary job. So they're going out both to physical stores to look at misbranded, unregistered products, but they also search various online retail locations. And I think if you can think of one, we've probably been on that site kind of looking around. And so we, we do issue um, letters, we do compliance actions for some of those other vendors. But you know, one of the challenges with online retail is it is a bit like whack-a-mole, where you can identify and address one issue and then another platform pops up. So it's a constant challenge around our um, enforcement program, and but and one that we think is really important to be addressing for um, kind of level playing field in terms of everyone following the requirements, as well as making sure that products that are coming into the state meet the the scientific standards that we need around protecting human health and the environment.
0: So one of the ways I'm tempted to test this, and I'm not gonna give someone an idea that they haven't had already, <laughs> is just uh, just Google it. I mean, if I were gonna take a think of a product right now that is not allowed to be used in the state of California, uh and i just went online and looked for that product and then asked them to ship it to me i think that'd be a pretty quick test yes but there are thousands and thousands that you can (laughs) you can check so we we have to be we have to be hiring some additional staff to be uh to be online on a regular basis kind of looking for those those kind of transactions and look to see who might be shipping these products that aren't approved for use here
1: I think that's certainly an option for us to look at. We've also done some internal redirections of staff from kind of going to the brick and mortar to looking at online retail. You know, this was coming coming out of COVID and switching to a lot more telework for for our staff, especially in the early part of the pandemic, is we had a lot of folks who were going and doing online marketplace surveillance. So this is a, uh, as I mentioned, an ongoing issue for the departments and one that we. Are certainly looking at appropriate resourcing to address
0: you know i know in other areas they say ignorance of the law is not a defense and because i could imagine in this area in particular uh and say if i wanted to get something that i might want to use for my yard i had no idea i I'd just go on try to get if somebody ship it to me i'd take it and i wouldn't have known that i should be checking it but there comes a stage where it's more of a commercial enterprise and, and somebody should know better so I would think that there's kind of this little gray area transition that the first time people would try to say, well, I didn't know. I thought it'd be safe enough. I looked online, I need that product. Sorry about that. I'll do better. Again, it's just not a black and white stage it seems to me. The kind of this this transition because you have the challenge even though it it isn't a good defense to say ignorance of the law. It would seem to me you've got this constant education job to do though to uh which maybe we're getting for participating in that with this conversation, even that yes. of trying to identify that.
1: I mean, I would agree that that education around our laws and requirements is something we do at, at all levels within the department, be that for sales, be that for use of products. And this is my pitch to read the label before you apply product, both in your home, on your farms, wherever that looks like. Um, but the you know, fundamentally individuals who are selling into the state need to follow the requirements that are in the state. They need to be they need to be registered with the department to be able to sell products. And, you know, a lot of the work that we do is, is working to get people into compliance, but also recognizing that if they fail to follow the laws, there are consequences for that in terms of penalties, back pay of mill. There's a number of different avenues that we look at as a part of that. And so I think the Amazon agreement is an example of kind of bringing Amazon into compliance with state requirements and also addressing the fact that they were not following state requirements for a while and and you know reaching the agreements for the the unpaid mill and the civil penalties associated with that.
0: Well, and I think to Amazon's credit, they've reached an agreement with you. And they will be an example in a positive way to others that are saying, well, wait a minute, it's cost Amazon five million dollars here. We can not afford that kind of mistake. Let's be sure we're we know what we're doing. And I, I think the other thing too is. It's reassuring, I think, to consumers to, to know that, um, you know, California product, uh, you're being careful about it. I mean, for both for the environment and also safety issues that people are concerned about the residues of products and so forth. And so from a, c- a consumer point of view or whoever the market is, they can say, yeah, I'm glad they're doing this. It gets back to my original point. Those that can look at California and say you go too far and then on some others say, well, I'm glad you're doing it because there will be problems if you didn't.
1: That's right. And that's, I mean, again, we, the folks who come to work for the department, we really believe in the mission of what we're trying to do around protecting. I said this multiple times protecting public health and the environment, but also again, that the, the pests are there and we need to think about tools and practices to be able to address them and the, the system is in place to make sure that these products, which, you know, do have some inherent risk to them, can be used safely and appropriately within the state. And so that's balance that we look at. And I think these kinds of agreements um, with companies like Amazon and others to, to follow those requirements is really critical to making sure the entire system works.
0: So you are a scientific advisor. Tell me about that more broadly. Than just this issue that we're talking about, what's your responsibility and responsibility of the scientists that work with you at DPR?
1: Absolutely. I will say we have a fantastic scientific team at DPR. We have over 200 scientists with the department who are reviewing data, doing monitoring throughout the states for um, produce residues, for residues in air and water, um, and my responsibility is to support a lot of the work they do, as well as to um, kind of help with that information being used to inform the policy decisions that we make as a department and to make sure that we're really um, using that in, in informing decisions that we make.
0: So I'm wondering how, what was your journey? What brought you into this to DPR? I mean, was one of those things that you decided to um, go to, Whatever you studied when you went to university and you probably at one stage didn't know you would end up in state government necessarily or the Department of Pesticide Regulations. And uh, what was your journey that brought you here?
1: Absolutely. So I am a a chemist by training um, and was always really interested in making a difference in the world, which sounds a little altruistic, but, you know, out of high school was really excited about that that idea and sort of stumbled in to state governments as uh, um, coming through an interest in environmental studies, environmental impacts and what that looked like. And I think what's really drawn me to the, the area of pesticides and what's really kept me with with the department is the complexity of the questions that we're looking at. Um, the The impacts for what that looks like not only for ag, but for individuals and kind of what that means. And frankly, I I love the people that I work with. And so it's been, it's been—it's DPR is a a wonderful place and full of people who are really committed to to doing this really hard work. And it is a tightrope in in many cases of how we try to identify moving forward and also recognizing the the challenges that we have in front of us.
0: You know, I have to ask that there's, um, some people are concerned about um, genetic engineering, but it's primarily not necessarily just the GMO. I think that they they get concerned with the fact that it's used in some cases to be able to apply more pesticides. like so the Roundup Ready, uh, glyphosate, and so forth. But some of those products that I don't believe. Well, I guess are they regulated or not in in California? Say glyphosate that um, Roundup, because you certainly can buy it here in California, but is it regulated by by DPR?
1: yes absolutely
0: well and so if somebody is using a product that is a what they call roundup ready so it's been genetically engineered so you can apply it what are the restrictions is a other than sales is it uh how much application because uh because you can be able to spray it in your yards or in your fields and so forth and kill weeds and whatever the product was that was genetically engineered whether it's corn or soybeans or so forth uh, wouldn't be killed by the application, um, but I know it doesn't have to do with the necessarily with this Amazon decision. But I just have to ask you because it's it's a question that comes up quite a bit.
1: Sure. So I'll, I'll note in California, um, in contrast to the Midwest states, we have a, a wide diversity of crops, and so I think the the question of kind of neighboring impacts to crops and what that looks like is something I think I think growers in the state are really acutely aware. As you're adjoining or abutting um, a, a crop that's maybe very different from yours, in terms of the question for looking at over-the-top sprays um, for relative to GMO crops, um, those products do have requirements on use. Um, you know, a, a lot of our products that are used in agriculture have restrictions around um, around eliminating drift, making sure that we're kind of keeping the product on the field on the intended site where it's applied we we have a lot fewer of that kind of application in the state again because of the the particular makeup of crops that we have True. but it is but those products are are regulated closely in terms of use restrictions um and and the general tracking and oversight that's done by our county ag commissioners every day throughout the state to make sure that that growers and applicators are aware of the requirements are following the requirements um, to, to make sure the products can be used appropriately.
0: Well, and that's one of the differences I know we have here in California, these ag commissioners, not every state has agriculture commissioners in the in the counties. And I hear a lot of positive feedback of people that, that appreciate the fact that they've got somebody to work with locally, uh, keeping yes. them familiar. And I'm just wondering, when, final area I just want to touch on, and that is we do know that you have an interaction as you described with the federal EPA and so forth. I'm curious about the level of communications you have within other states of saying, "Well, oh, here's what's working for us in California, and what are you guys doing that we can learn from in Illinois and, and so forth? Is there a network of communications?
1: There is. So there is actually a, a National Association of... Um, pesticide regulators that, that get together at least quarterly to talk about challenges that we're seeing, to be able to kind of share lessons learned, also to communicate with um, US EPA and others, the federal governments, about what practices are looking like on the ground. And so we, we share information about work that we're doing with California. We hear from other states and kind of are able to incorporate lessons learned. So it's, it's a great exchange of information in the work that we all do.
0: Well, and I would imagine this next stage is something that we started this conversation off with, and that is when we get into the virtual world. uh, All the states are going to be having some of the same issue. I mean, it's one thing that I've driven across the country recently, and you, you yeah, we always honk the horn when I'm crossing a state line that says, you know, welcome to Utah, welcome to Nevada, and so forth. I mean, you have a, and and you potentially can slow down at the crossing coming into california and sometimes answer questions about where you've been and what you've got and things like that but those boundaries are disappearing this gets back to the point of this is that these states that share concerns on how products are used and regulated in their states are probably all facing what you're dealing with and just seeing things that can come in because the marketing is taking place virtually um, and it's it's a new frontier. So I would imagine there are other states, Karen, that are looking at what you've done here in California with this Amazon decision and thinking maybe we need to be tightening up and learning from what California's done and try similar in our state. Is that, is that true?
1: Yes. And that's all I can say on that point. But yes, I think that's, um, th- there's been, in other cases examples of kind of working with other other states on similar kinds of issues similar kinds of violations of various laws. And so um, that's a that's an important partnership that we have. So yes, absolutely in some of those conversations, um, both at the state and federal
0: level. Well, we know, Karen, I really appreciate this conversation. I think you're on a frontier. People are happy to have you on the on that front line and addressing this issue. And, and I'm glad you joined us today on Farm to Table Talk to explain the progress that's going on with DPR. One final quick question because if people would like to know more, where do they look online to find out more about this issue and and the other programs that Department of Pesticide Regulations are pursuing?
1: Thanks for having me, Roger. The best place to go is our website, which is www.cdpr.ca.gov.
0: Karen, thanks so much for being on Farm to Table Talk.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Take care.
0: You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson.